and we're live Woo. oh shit <laughs> welcome back june <laughs> to this world um we are in episode 23 it's been about uh, it's been about two weeks since we last uh did a little public footnote podcast but uh good to be back i'm on march break so i'm like stress-free loving life oh wait you're on you're on march break right now yeah wait you so you start break like this so the upcoming week is march break for you yes the upcoming week is march break i just had my resp exam yesterday and oh, uh, shit. oh that's so that's so cool mm, it's so cool does <laughs> not wow. get any breaks i think no. <laughs> yeah exactly that's that's what you get for being a three-year program yeah we're, so. we're clearly the worst inferior school like <laughs> Yeah. I I really needed this. I don't know. Like I I've been at it for nine whole weeks. I know you're probably at it for like, who knows how long? Twenty weeks. But uh, uh-huh. nine weeks was enough for me. I I need I need a break here. Right. Okay. Wow. That's a great topic for for this footnotes podcast. <laughs> Taking breaks. Yeah. Just what do you what do you want to do this break, Paul? That's a that is a great question. So. Usually when it comes to break time, I get really anxious because I don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that was sort of uh, a product of me feeling like I wasn't productive enough. Uh-huh. But now that I'm in med school and I'm, I have to be productive like every day, I'm just so glad just to have time off. Like I don't feel guilty at all. Just like spending the whole day doing nothing but playing video games, watching YouTube videos and just uh-huh. chilling. Right. Um, so that's kind of the plan for the first few days. Yeah. And then I'm going to go visit uh, James in Montreal. Oh, shit. Yeah. For a few days. Because he's doing a master's, so he's got free time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that's me. Uh, I'm loving it. I'm excited. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a great break. You were probably grinding grinding hard during the nine weeks. Yeah. School. It's been tough. I had exams. Have you heard of those? <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. It's, it's that classic like uh, doctor phrase. Like, yeah. I can't imagine how difficult that must be for you. <laughs> that's, that's the vibe I'm getting right now. Said in the most unempathetic, unempathetic way. Yeah. I'm already burnt out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. Hmm. So it's it's yeah, gonna be a I, break. Yeah, yeah. so I, I was I, I was telling you that I, I'm interested in Merge recently. Um, yeah. There was a uh, Emerge doc that came to our clinical well she's she is one of the heads of our uh, clinical methods small group. Mm-hmm. And um, she was just straight up with us. She's like you know, I imagine like medicine, I, I'd be burned out after like 10, 15 years, but it's been two years and I'm already burnt out. So life's not good. And that just like hit me like a rock. I'm like, fuck, like, is, is that what I need to expect? Is that only emergency? Is that also in other specialties too? Um, I'm very worried, you know, burnout is real. Uh, uh-huh. So maybe talking about breaks is a good uh, topic for today. Yeah. Burnout and and breaks. That that is a good topic. I mean <laughs> I, I'm I'm like my my approach to burnout has been just to run as far away from it <laughs> as I can in all areas of my life. Um but and and I think that's been a good approach. So run away from your problems, yes. Yeah, run away from your problems. You know, if if you feel like they're gonna kill you, then maybe you shouldn't approach them <laughs> right away. Yeah. So you know, to kind of reflect more on my undergrad days and maybe the beginning of med school, I I really wanted to avoid burnout because. I felt like I know what some of the lower depths might have in store for me. Like, 
yeah, I would love to be like depressed 24 seven and have like zero sense of aim and purpose in what I do and zero joy. Ha ha ha. That sounds great. <laughs> you know, um, so, so, you know, that, that's kind of the reason I made sure to stay away from any kind of burnout mm. <laughs> because maybe I had experienced some of what burnout might be like. Um, and you didn't like it. Yeah. And I, and I, and I don't like it. Like I got a taste and then I was like, oh shit, I'm fuck this. I'm going <laughs> to run away. Right. But, but, you know, the, the more I learn, the, the more I realize that as you approach your limits and as you really like push against something difficult, that's where the most like opportunity for growth is. But the thing is that you have to take that on voluntarily mm -hmm. or else like that pushing will feel you know, useless and it'll just drain you rather than energize you. So, so take a given example, like I've been, I've been working out really hard. When I go to the gym, I make sure to like push my, whatever I'm working to that, like absolute limit. And, you know, I haven't done that in a while. So maybe my muscles are a little, you know, not so grateful for that right now. <laughs> yeah. But, but I think that philosophy is, is so widely applicable like when when i do those workouts as i've said before like i make sure to focus on that muscle and get to a point in my reps that i feel like like i can only do that last rep if someone had a gun to my head mm. and i was forced to push through and usually i'll have to make like a intense like a primal cry sound in the gym like <laughs> you know while i'm pushing through and and that moment of, of push through where you like expand your limits just a little bit more than than it was before that that's the area of growth hmm. but but i think that growth works best if you've exposed yourself to that voluntarily and you know that it's um getting you to a, a goal that you desire so i i think i've been trying to apply that rule in my studies too right so I, I think at the beginning of the year it was more of a ah fuck medicine it's so uh, full of useless details and uh you know it's like i had zero respect for the institution of uh, western biomedical science and you know medicine but you know and and i leaned heavily towards like self-care and taking time for myself and exploring other things, which I thought it was a good strategy. But as my time goes on, um, you know, and my experiences in my classes and like other horizontal piles on, I'm like slowly realizing like, no shit. <laughs> no, this, this knowledge can save people's lives and it's applicable in a lot of different circumstances. Um, and maybe I haven't been doing the best that I can like, and I haven't been treating this uh, subject with enough respect. So, you know, so I've applied, started applying myself a little more towards studying, right? Mm. Towards, you know, you know, it, it's, I think in the end, like what I learn about acute kidney injury probably won't benefit my career as a psychiatrist. But, you know, I, I think this like in-depth kind of knowledge about the human body. And, and, and this is a certain way to like break down and approach like problems. It's a, it's a way of problem solving. It's a way of, I don't know, practicing medicine. And, and you know, there's, it's not the whole picture, but it's, it's a valuable one. And I would be stupid if I were given this opportunity to, to study medicine in this way. And I don't know, just completely ignored it. <laughs> Um, so, so, so I have a little more respect for, for medicine, um, and the kind of knowledge and, and approach it requires. Um, and, and I've, I, I think I've started pushing myself in that direction a little bit. Um, so 
like I try to push my limits with with my muscles, I'm going to do the same for medicine, but mm. but in a self motivated way. Mm. Um, and and I think that's one way to avoid burnout. You know, you can be you can be working the same amount of hours on something, but you could either be motivated by fear and yeah, like fear of punishment and a fear of what falling behind your peers. Or you could be motivated, you know, by yourself, like by your own curiosity, by your own, I don't know, drive to accomplish or make true a, a vision of the future that you want to make through. So, so I think that's a key what idea. If you want to avoid burnout, be motivated through intrinsic means, not by fear. Right. It's, it's fascinating. Like all these ideas, like we hear them a lot, right? And we hear them in undergrad, especially with health sciences program. Um, well, they, they try to like say, this is not a, a medicine, like a pre-med program. In some parts it is, but the, the gist is we hear these things, but we don't know how to contextualize them until we actually get to that point of pushing the boundaries, right? Um, I, I experienced something similar too. Like when I started med school, um, I, I kind of look down at the detail-oriented side of it. I'm like, yeah, who cares about these little details? Who cares about memorizing little pathways or like even doses of, of medications? And and after sort of learning it for months and months now, you know, it, it becomes super important. You you realize you, you sort of gain this respect, and you realize just how important it really is. And and you know, for me. Like my interest in emerge is sort of it started from this interest in knowing about all the systems, um, a little bit about every system uh, in in the human body, and you need to also know them in really large detail uh, because in critical situations you need to know like instantaneously what sort of like dosages of meds or like the how you can stabilize the patient, essentially, right? Um, and so details become severely important in that case. And and once I, I realized, once I had my sort of interest in Emerge and had a goal in mind, I, I felt myself becoming a lot more accepting of, of details or being more willing to learn these little minutiae uh, and feeling less fatigued by them. Mm-hmm. So it's that classic, you know, the Nietzsche, Nietzsche saying, um, he, he who has a how, no, he who has a why can bear any how, right. uh, something like that, um, which I think is fascinating. And it sort of calls back to what you said about human potential, right? Uh, in one of our uh, previous footnotes, it's, there's almost no limit to human potential uh, if a person is willing to... Um, really achieve a goal that they they believe in, um, and I'm just so glad to feel that now. I, I literally did not feel that anywhere in undergrad. It took me all of undergrad, a lot of times when I felt depressed and like you know, I, I lost a sense of purpose. Um, it, it was horrible, and then I finally be, feel like I'm I'm being committed to a certain profession, a, a certain direction. Um, and it feels great. I, I feel like that's going to protect me from burnout for sure. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. It's, it's almost like having a identity is mm-hmm. a protective factor against depression and burnout, <laughs> right? That, that identity and kind of specialized role, that, that's what gives you purpose. That's what gives you, uh, you know, these are the things that I want to focus on. Um, if I focus on these things, I will become this kind of person. If I become this kind of person, people will treat me in this kind of way. Mm. Like I, I can have this kind of like things just kind of fall into place once you develop a more coherent identity. So I, that, that's one thing I think is really cool. Um, mm. Another thing I wanted to bring up is like I always I'm I'm part of a 
I, I think the Facebook page is called Complexity of Explorers. And it, it's a Facebook page that has around like 20,000 people on it. Um, it was, it's like an official one set up by an institution called the Santa Fe Institute. You know, they're like a research institute in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and they do a lot of work on complexity science. And so members can post whatever complexity things that they find cool on there. And um, one of the kind of founders of complexity science and um, had a quote that was something like, um, the, the degree to which a complex system can grow, that's proportional to how much entropy it can dissipate. So, mm. so to kind of unravel that a little bit, it's the size of the system can grow is proportional to the amount of, of chaos that it can transform into a coherent and useful structure. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so in bacteria or something that might be incorporating a, a food source um, and transforming it into a some structure of the cell. Um, so it goes from chaotic potential to orderly life and system. And so, you know, it, it at our scale, what that might look like, I, I've thought about that is, you know, human beings have the potential to transform things that are chaotic, um, things that are unknown, uh, or things that are shitty and difficult into something that is that we see as good, that we see as coherent and orderly. So I'm not sure if you've seen this uh, <laughs> challenge on Reddit yet, but I, I think it'll like start going uh, more viral. Um, and I think it's called the hashtag trash tag challenge. Okay. It's a before and after pick challenge where there's on the before pick, it's one dude kind of, he's kind of lumped, you know, slouched down. And in the background is like some kind of natural scene with littered with a bunch of garbage. And the after scene is like, he's like shirtless, like he got his <laughs> shoulders back and he has like eight huge garbage bags in, in which like he <laughs> cleaned up all the shit that he found, mm -hmm. tied them all up, lined them up and he's standing there like, I did this shit. <laughs> You know, so like literally transforming, you know, what is a shitty and unorderly into into something that's better, something that's mm -hmm. more segregated. So, um, and and the ability of the person to do that kind of shows you what how much of a man they are, or <laughs> how how much let's say uh, inner development. Mm. They've had Competence? how accomplished? I said competence. competence. Right. How, how much competence they have, and mm -hmm. how much of an ability they have to to transform the world around them. Mm -hmm. So, I I think that's it, it's something that I've been a cool idea that's kind of stuck with me. Mm. And I think it's so true. Like when you're able to have a goal and, and step into the emergency and say, like, while in med school, say, like, I'm going to study this, I'm going to figure it out. And then when you're able to apply that knowledge to, yeah, like, save people's lives in emergency in situations where, like, otherwise they would have, you know, for sure died, you know, that's a kind of ordering of the universe that you're doing there. Mm. You know, it's it's a like extremely complex thing, um, but that you're managing. So, as as your ability to make things well, healthier, improves, then you know that's a sign that you're growing as a system. Mm. That's that's fascinating. I I, I think it extends to psychiatry as well, right? I mean, you you take a disordered human mind. That's dysfunctional that's not working as the the proper system and you sort of arrange it in in some order that that works and uh, operates the way it's meant to um yeah that's a cool thought <laughs> there's there's a sort of like yeah like charisma or um 
I don't know, uh, manliness. Mm-hmm. Except it's not a, it's not necessarily attributed to like the masculine, but mm-hmm. when I hear it, I just I feel it as a as a manliness concept, being able to take care of a, a messy situation, um, yeah, and put it into order. Yeah, I, I mean it's a it's a strange association, and I'm wondering uh, if you're like consciously doing this because of the the book symbolic book you've been reading. <laughs> It's just a kind of feeling thing. I think it's a feeling thing. I haven't picked that book up in a while. <laughs> I, no time, no time. Right. This week is the week, though, definitely. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll look forward to hearing. Yeah. That, that was a good transition, though. I thought I wish I could talk about it. Um, <laughs> but I, I wanted to actually go back to what you said about identity mm-hmm. and, and the sense of I guess security or uh, wholeness that you get when you commit to an identity. I- I'm curious because, of course, people experience this differently. Like, like people have different, uh, let's say, different timelines with respect to how they achieve their identity. And yeah. when I look around, I almost feel like most people achieve that earlier on. I feel like a late bloomer. I don't know if, uh, about you, but I, I really feel like a late bloomer because I, I, I don't feel like I've really settled myself into an identity. and I'm still not there yet, but I, I'm feeling like I'm starting to get there and that's only started like maybe a few months ago um, or, or maybe the end of fourth year. Uh, so that's sort of an issue for me because imagine someone who is less on this uh, more structured path. Um, let's say someone who, who goes into university, not really know what they want to do, and sort of wasting four years of money and time, just kind of trying to figure things out, just wasting time, taking courses that they're not really going to uh, value or, or use in their later life, and then come come out of it even more disintegrated and disorganized with less of an identity than they had before they got in there. That seems like something that's you know, counterproductive. At university, I feel like it's supposed to challenge you in ways that you can form your identity and, and sort of uh, build yourself up. But if it gets to a point where it's just damaging, then, then we have an issue. So I, I feel like a lot of people are having this problem because, because of the meme culture. The meme culture, in my in my experience, sort of reflects that because there's so many like depressed memes and like I don't know what I'm doing memes. Like there's so many of that. So if that's any indication of the current societal mood in the let's say the 18 to 25 year olds, then I think we have a big issue at hand. And I'm wondering what your experience has been with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we're undergoing something like a collective identity crisis, right? Because so a lot of these problems about choosing identity and, and being becoming someone who you want to be, like, I think for most of human history, that was never a problem. It was more of a prescription. Mm. For example, your occupation would be determined by which family you come from you know if you come from a family of who's been a, like i don't know shoesmith in rural india for <laughs> hundreds of years that's what you are like or in parts of europe your last name will be determined by your occupation smith like smith yeah it's literally part of your name and your your identity what is park <laughs> park well koreans did it a little differently <laughs> Okay, but yeah, you you can see how something like a job maybe that maybe occupies 70-80% of your time, your life, and your interactions with other people would have been decided for you already mm-hmm. in, let's say, pre-modern times. Well, that's kind of blown out of the water, right? So So imagine that something that provided you with 80% of your baseline identity, like it's, it's already gone because <laughs> um, 
well, in, in part because of a culture that values individual freedom and, you know, that's valuable. Um, but it's also very terrifying to be like, you can choose to be whatever you want to be. Mm. Um, oh, you can be a doctor, you can be a lawyer, you can be the prime minister, you can be a musician, you can be an artist, you can be everything you want to be. <laughs> um, and, and that's like the greatest blessing and also the most terrible dilemma. Mm. Like another part of our identity that we talk about a lot is our, our religious orientation, our spiritual orientation. So in the past, some kind of religious belief system might have been prescribed onto us. Like, you know, if you're if you're living in Europe for, you know, the last 2000 years, you would be some form of Christian. You would go to church every Sunday that was in the center of the town and everyone would get together and, you know, everyone would pray, everyone would listen to sermon, everyone would sing the same song. And they're a big part of your group identity is kind of given to you. And maybe you don't really have the tools or knowledge to challenge it if you want or question it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe you think it's BS, but you know, whatever. It, it's it's what grounds you and it, it gives you a good enough cosmological narrative um, that you know makes sure that you don't fall into a pit of existential despair <laughs> every every day. You know. So so those are and, and another thing is, another huge part of our identities is food. Mm -hmm. you know, I've been watching a lot of um, like food-related shows on Netflix. And like, I don't know, we have, we have a huge question around like, what should we eat today? And again, like in our consumeristic culture, the, the choices are endless. <laughs> Could have McDonald's. You could have Wendy's. You could buy Korean food. You could buy Indian food. You could buy Persian food. Like on and on and on. And you could not eat. You could fast. Like, what the what the hell do you do? You know. Whereas in the past, it might you know those decisions would have been severely constrained by, you know, what season it is and literally what's growing, or if nothing grew, then you starve. Mm. Um, and. You know, people have a common food, a common culture, um, you know, common expectations of what to eat and when and why. So for example, you might have long period of fast dictated by like, yeah, some, some sort of religious tradition or, or a feast <laughs> based on whether it's Thanksgiving or a certain kind of holiday. Mm -hmm. so, so you take all those major elements of identity and kind of throw them out the window <laughs> um, and and you're with you end up with the situation with with radical freedom but also radical terror and you know that that seems like a perfect opportunity for a crisis and identity and then and then mix you up with people who have like who you've as like human beings probably lived apart from for maybe maybe tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of years you know you know people from different races and different nations like i don't i don't think we've ever lived in this kind of uh, such a diverse kind of way so yeah no wonder we're having an identity crisis that's 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 my identity rant Wow, that's fascinating. I, I never thought of that. Um, I'm just gonna let that soak in for a second because <laughs> that, that's a lot. Um, hmm. This is a perfect example of, there's so many things to say <laughs> that you don't know what to say. Um, so much opportunity, so much. So then where, where do we sit? Because I feel like I still have I still have preferences for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and if I just act on those preferences, then they sort of form an identity of their own, right? Yeah. So perhaps if everyone could just go with what they feel is right or what, what they think is right, then we wouldn't have this issue as much. But media and sort of the, the, the thought of today uh, really 
asks us to step out of our own shoes as well. You know, there's the, the progressive left, the, the ideas are, you know, um, be more culturally aware, be more um, open to what other people think, um, sort of take in all this information and, and don't be judgmental, which sort of furthers that identity problem too, doesn't it? Because then you don't know what to believe. Like you, you have so many things you have to right. listen to and, and take into account that it's hard to pick out the things that you really believe in and you think are are real or are real to you. Um, well, that's 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 a dangerous game. Right. It's it's like let's say you're a like alchemist living in. 16th century Europe and you have a bunch of different like elements and metals and like, fluids chemicals to work with and you're trying to combine them in like a magical harmonious way that'll make gold mm. but if you don't integrate them properly then most of the time what you end up with is like dirt or mud right so a kind of like muddy chaos is the result of improper mixing mm. or it's a kind of dissonance right it's kind of dis dissonant chaotic state when you have too many things that don't work together kind of trying to meld all at once mm -hmm. so yeah that that that's a nasty problem <laughs> it's you know that the amount of things that we're expected to integrate and be open-minded to has exploded exponentially. But at the same time, like our, our abilities to integrate that those kind of new information and perspectives hasn't <laughs> multiplied exponentially. Mm -hmm. right? So we're, we're, we're kind of still operating on, you know, whatever, whatever, uh, our human brain can manage at, at this point in time right well i think there's luckily for us like the human mind isn't like and the human mind is limited so we're sort of like stopped by our own physical let's say limitations like at some point i think we decide you know what fuck this mm -hmm. i like this so i'm going to keep to whatever's here yeah um but if I could use maybe like a metaphor in the sense that we, we all have like a bucket to fill. Yeah. You would want to fill it with the right sort of proportion of different things so that you can appreciate different perspectives and different cultures and, and not have it be completely uh, inundated by just one perspective, right. um, which is easy to do with all the access of information that we have with internet and like media and things like that. So, Maybe that also that also happens where we get radicalization because people are filled and filled with one standpoint and and they get really invested in that um, and then we get other people who are like mixed mixed with a whole bunch of different um, elements and like they don't know what to do with that so right that's interesting yeah you. You teeter totter between too orderly or, or too chaotic, right? Right. Um, and it, yeah, it's a it's a tricky balance because because you need elements of both. Right? You need you need a stable enough identity that will protect you against yeah existential fear, but you also need to have a a certain kind of fluidity in your identity that allows you to integrate new information. So I don't know, I, I, we're, I think we're really seeing it play out in our culture, right? Um, I, I think I read or saw a Reddit headline about a fully gender fluid family. Mm. And, you know, I, I think that's a, it's like a social phenomenon that is, that kind of encapsulates what's happening in our time. I think like the the confusion in our in our identities it's it's not just psychological 
it's it's also happening at a biological level. Mm -hmm. So, so for example, like, you know, I'm by no means like an expert on endocrinology, and I'm like purely speculating here. But, but in my experience, <laughs> so so this this is let me let me uh, tell me what you think about this. So, okay. the more opportunities that I've had to embody a more like masculine way of being. So maybe let's say the, the sort of behaviors that would be um, that would be preferred by a testosterone sensitized brain. So for example, we've learned in first year that testosterone uh, will upregulate um, the amount of receptors like uh, glutamate receptors, excitatory receptors in certain parts of the hypothalamus that makes males more prone to aggressive behavior um, and sexual risk-taking behavior. So we know that like these hormones, testosterone and estrogen, have varying effects on the brain, right? So, but but one thing I've noticed that as I try to embody more masculine behaviors, um, for example, like like working out really hard, or like competing at the gym or, or competing like at a basketball court. Yeah. Or, you know, taking a girl on a date and, or like asking them out, like these kind of purpose driven risk taking activities. I like I, I noticed some changes. You know, this this might be like coincidental, but like something like more facial hair growth. You know, that mm. that sounds really weird. Or like I, I <laughs> a streak of hair here that I've no, never noticed before. And, and one part of me wonders, like, okay, this is either a second puberty <laughs> or or it might be some of the physical manifestations of, of testosterone. And it like like it's weird, right? So if I embody more of one role, like my bio my biology will respond to help me adopt that role. So so imagine that if you're like grown up in a state where that role <laughs> is absent, where that identity is absent, and you are this kind of gender fluid or um, identity fluid being, like how might your hormonal system be? Mm -hmm. My hypothesis might be that Maybe maybe there's an equal level of estrogen and testosterone, but no like preferential effect of either, or or it's it's more closer to that. You know, so that that might be a wild hypothesis, but I I think some of it has to some of it rings true. But I, I think the main point that I'm trying to get at is that our our identity crisis. I think is it literally becomes reflected in our own bodies, hmm. um, and and so it's it's affecting us in a very fundamental biological way. Hmm. I buy that. <laughs> I buy into that, and like it's of course, I think it impacts more than just the um, hormonal systems, right? You can even think behaviorally if you're sort of this identity fluid individual um, this I, I guess I'm making assumptions here but let's say you you're a man that feels more female like you may you're probably less inclined to go to the gym and, and try to look more bulky and and muscular because that's not as feminine of a of an appearance mm -hmm. um, and so that that behavioral change also contributes to how your your physical your physical manifestations. Yeah. Um, and I'm willing to bet that just psychological effects when we think about like stress and the effects on the body, even mm -hmm. like psychological differences in in what you think and how you think would also affect how your body is expressed or how the genes even in your different cells are expressed. Like everything is connected together. And, and I, I can definitely see that happening. Right. Um, right. So 
that has a lot of implications, of course. Um, and one of the implications is, okay, so then what is the best, what is the, what is the best identity to have? Uh-huh. And maybe that is different per individual. Maybe there's an identity in each individual that maximizes their, um, maximizes their health, the, it helps them to reach the, the greatest potential of their body and their mind. Um, and I'm wondering if that is possible if you have such a mix of two identities, two or more identities existing within you at the same time. There's, there's this idea, I think, in... I'm going to butcher this a lot, but there's like two-spirit. That idea of two-spirit. I feel like you know this a little bit better than me. Right. But it's the idea that the individual has both male and feminine, masculine and feminine spirits residing within them, and they can sort of relate to both. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe there are people who really shine and thrive when they're sort of at that midpoint or some combination of the two, masculine and feminine, and that will lead to their best expression. So maybe the focus is more on figuring out what is the best identity for people um, rather than defining what is the best identity. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Like like a couple of thoughts. One is, so I, I think it's extremely difficult to, let's say, hold or express to seemingly opposing identities at the at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. So I think what happens a lot of the times is that, you know, our let's let's come back to our metaphor that we've our working uh, our working model of the mind that we came up with. So the mind as zoo, the mind as community. Mm-hmm. Of related but but kind of separate identities mm-hmm. and personalities. And so, it's not like all the it's not like all that that all those my identities will express themselves at the very same time. Like I can't be angry and sad, you know, angry and sad and excited and not excited at the same time. Instead, they go through. Um, we experience rapid rapid shifts, like we're putting on a different mask. Mm-hmm. We put on another mask, and then we put on another mask. But it's very difficult for one or two masks to express themselves um, in a coherent way at the same time. Like, I don't know, maybe maybe some identities and emotions um, work well together. Maybe the emotion or a psychological state of sadness and and fear can go well with the psychological state of of anger and when the two interact it forms an identity that is that is hostile that directs the sadness or suffering uh, and attributes blame to another mm-hmm. so so in those ways certain identities can be expressed together um, in some ways they can be like opposites and um, you need to transition in between them. Um, So like one of the really cool examples of shifting between masculine and feminine that I've seen like on social media is this dancer called, I I think his name is, his stage name is Jay Black Pink or something. Black Pink? (laughs) No, no, not exactly, but when he's Jay Black, he's mm. like the most like masculine and, and uh, like ferocious dancer. And when he's Jay Pink, he'll wear high heels, he'll do like makeup, and mm. and there's a kind of like femininity, like the smoothness, like a, a flow to his movements that wasn't there before uh, when he was Jay Black. So so he's literally like shifting right between masculine, feminine, mm. masculine, feminine. Um, uh, and, you know, 
you know, maybe maybe he can have a performance as J Blackpink. <laughs> you know, the union of both. Mm -hmm. You know, working in harmony, and and I think that you know that is the preferential state for like these separate identity identities to be in. Um, but it's extremely difficult to master, like right. one, even one identity, right? So, well, it's like that complexity idea, right? Like it's being able to manage the chaos of both. Right. Sense. Yeah. The the yeah the complexity associated with like hosting both at the same time, those not being in conflict with one another, each giving space for another, and and each enhancing the other. Mm. Um, yeah, that that's a kind of really difficult and special state, right? So, I've like the the idea of the fundamental categories of masculine and feminine, like like really helped me, like to act in the world. So, like I don't know, I don't know if you can see on on camera. You wear makeup? <laughs> Unfortunately, not. <laughs> <laughs> But okay, so so let me let me show you a, a masculine smile, right? Or <laughs> like a smirk, kind of. Yeah, there's there's a kind of smirk element, and I think when I look at my eyes when I'm in this state mm. in the mirror, like there's a kind of focus, mm. um, and there I, I see a kind of like drive, and and when I'm in a like feminine, <laughs> yeah, I'm. Me. My my eyebrows relax, and then I'm I'm in a more relaxed and fluid state, mm. um, and I feel more creative, but I may be more susceptible to like to maybe more darker thoughts, mm. to maybe have better access to my my emotional self, and and it, it's so strange. It's like I. I just changed facial expressions, but but it's a different kind of psychological state that I'm working in, and it manifests in like my face. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I think that's super cool, and I, I think you know there's there's probably sufficient evidence to to show that the the right hemisphere has more of that feminine identity, and the left hemisphere has more of that masculine identity. That's because they reflect the order chaos dichotomies or, or the fundamental the fundamental poles of the environment or, or, or the reality that we live in. Right. So once you start framing the world in that way, then you know you you could start to understand that yeah, there's there's a real problem. <laughs> Conflict, a sense of tension and conflict between the masculine and feminine. But, like we, we literally see that in, in social trends in you know, the conflict against from like feminism and I don't know and, and other, other movements. Um, but but you also see that like more represented as I don't know the world teeter tottering between extreme order and authoritarianism and extreme chaos and loss of identity. So the the integration of, of these two forces is like the most vital task <laughs> that we have right now. That that's what I believe. Mm. Um, yeah, but that's it's a hard task. <laughs> well, I, I think the integration can be on a grand scale, right? It doesn't have to be always an individual. And for me, I'm. I'm actually very glad that I feel like I'm in touch with both, mm -hmm. um, especially because of things like musicals, right? Mm -hmm. um, that sort of expression and that that even community right. uh, allows me to express more of like the feminine side. Yeah. Um, but then you know you go to the gym with a frat boy. I, I do that. Yeah. <laughs> One of my friends, right? Um, and that allows me to get in touch with my masculine side. So I, I think I feel privy to that 
Um, and I feel like you, you sort of have a, a similar stance as well, where you, you sort of have access to both. And, and maybe that's a part of why it took me at least so long for my identity st to start forming. I didn't actually get your opinion on how your identity has been has been forming over the years, but definitely for me, like I, I'm always surprised by how different I can be around different people. Yeah, and the the flexibility that I can have, and just the total sh shift in facial expression, like you mentioned, but also things I say, the way I say it, like the tone of my voice, the pitch changes. Um, depending on how masculine or feminine the other person is, right? It's like I'm, I, I act as their comp, not their compliment. Maybe more like, well, it, it depends on the situation. Sometimes I'm the compliment. Sometimes right. I'm just a reflection of, of their level of masculinity or femininity. Yeah. Sometimes you want to like, you know, multiply the masculine energy and yeah, something like really crazy, stupid, fun, like, um, you know. It's not an extreme example, but like me and Isai and, and one time you, I think, used to like <laughs> yeah. in front of the mirror, like, oh, look how buff we are, look how strong we are. Like, mm. and, and that's probably something that wouldn't be possible without that, you know, multiplication of masculine identities. Right, yeah. Um, whereas, you know, sometimes, sometimes you need a counterbalance and sometimes you, like, you need an inhibitory force or sometimes it works synergistically um like oh i don't know what what do you want to do i don't know what do you want to do if one person has like a plan hey let's go here then we're like everyone's oh, happy yeah <laughs> the person who doesn't know what they want to do can follow that guy and the person who wants to lead can lead right right so you know di different circumstances require different identities but my approach to identity, I think, has been to, well, you, you can't be everything at once. Just choose a few things and try to develop that. And, and try to develop that and have more of that identity. So there's, there's a few components to that. So like one, like I am Korean, that's my ethnic background. My ancestors for five, six thousand years have lived with people who look like me, who talk like, you know, the same language and eat similar foods. There is a rich culture and identity there that I need to reclaim. So that, that's identity number one. Identity number two, like I'm a medical student. Um, and so I study medicine and I'm going to do it right. Number three, I'm a... I like music. Mm -hmm. I make music, and I'm gonna learn how to make music. And number four, this is more like a of a fluid one, more more open to suggestion. Um, is like I'm I'm Christian. I grew up in a Christian household, and the Christian story like orients me in mm. some kind of good direction. So like maybe those are my three and a half maybe four core identities that i'm like trying to develop um anything outside that maybe i can ignore for the time being mm. because if i don't ignore them and try to be everything then i i can't be anything but but the the risk of that is you know becoming too invested in, in that identity and not being able to break out of it but but lucky for us we have some useful tools um, for kind of breaking our minds open and uh, giving us new perspectives when we need it. Right, and it's like a, it's dynamic, right? It can change every year, every every minute, every day. Um, so that's very helpful. I I think that's the only way to do it, to be honest. Like, <laughs> I think the the definition by definition, identity has to include the exclusion of something else. Right. So, and you want you want that process of inclusion and exclusion until i don't know everything is included <laughs> yeah i guess or you you become you master the the identities that you've integrated and you've well what do you do with the identities that you've excluded you you keep them in the periphery uh-huh um 
it's like the the troll idea, right? The mm -hmm. troll at the edge of the the fortress or whatever. Um, the the odd one out. You, you need it sometimes to sort of keep yourself in check, but you mainly keep it there just to know that there is an alternative. Um, yeah. Yeah. There there's like a. If yeah, let's let's work on that idea a bit. So if you mm -hmm. if you adopt one identity, then that excludes you in a in a sense from like becoming another identity. So if I really want to invest in like a masculine appearance and you know whatever I think masculinity to be. Mm -hmm. Um, then I might, I might be, I might be tempted to completely exclude the feminine identity from any part of my personality. Mm -hmm. But I think the correct way to like, handle that situation is to leave that, say, outer flourish or outer, hmm, like a garnish. Garnish, okay. Right, so let's say in ratios like six out of seven, you are masculine. Mm -hmm. But one out of seven, there's a part of your or, or component of you that indicates your openness to the feminine. So it might be like in, in terms of my clothes or something, Let's say like, you know, I'm wearing that Korean, like, you know, masculine outfit, like a stereotypical, like long coat and like <laughs> nice sweater and mm -hmm. like, you know, formally fit pants and dress shoes. But then my collars, my cup, my collars and cuffs, they have a kind of floral design, right? And, and, and that makes the whole picture like so much more rich and, and complex, right? If, if I had just had a, plain white uh, dress shirt on underneath, you know, I would look kind of predictable, mm -hmm. you know, kind of predictable and, and boring in a sense. But um, by leaving that one seventh like garnish as uh, a means for, you know, as an indication of my openness to something different, then, then that just spices things up and th that completes the picture. Mm. And it makes it so much more whole. So I think that's kind of the approach. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, be be what you are, except for that, you know, one seventh, I don't know, like 13% of you. <laughs> why, <laughs> that is not. Why seven? <laughs> I'm curious. Yeah. I, it's a, I guess it's more of like a Christian biblical idea. The seven, oh, seven, yeah. It's a, like you create the world, you work for six, and then you rest for one. Mm. So like work and rest, are they are they compatible? You know, they're they're kind of opposite sides of the same coin, but it's and they're they're equals, but they're not equals in like like the fifty fifty kind of way, the kind of binary way. Mm -hmm. But they're they're equals in a kind of um, asymmetric kind of way. So, I don't know. Be, be asymmetrically something. <laughs> like 80% you should be something and 20%. Yeah. You know the 70-30 rule in internal medicine? What's the 70-30 rule? It's that most of the time, yeah. the odds of something happening are either 70 or 30%. Right. And yeah. that's, it's worked like 70% of the time. Yeah. So, similar idea. <laughs> exactly. Um, the whole high yield, low yield idea. Yeah. And the Pareto principle. There's, there's like an asymmetry that's built into the structure of the world that you, you see literally mm -hmm. everywhere. Um, maybe you can apply it to your identity. Mm. Be Mostly one thing. But explore. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, 20% of the time. 
sometimes when you do explore that 20%, you'll find something that can kind of transform and revitalize your uh, stale identity. <laughs> yeah, don't be basic, basically. Yeah, exactly. Don't be basic. Yeah. <laughs> Right. I, I think it's a it's a great place to end off. Um, I know what we're titling this. Um, okay. But uh, thank thank you all for listening. Um, I never know how to close these things. Honestly, this is the twenty percent that I just don't know how to explore. Yeah, I don't know. That's okay. You you leave these things unknown. There you go. Keep it on the periphery. Yeah. Run away from it. Pray for me. <laughs> All right. Bye. Peace.